How many of you all know when your pastor brings a Starbucks up on stage, it's been one of those kind of days? Mm. Nobody can relate. Okay, this is going to be an awesome night. Um, Where's Dave Jr. at? Come here. All right. And we could dim the lights down a little bit. It doesn't need to, we're not doing surgery in here tonight. Um, so let me just tell you about my boy for a second. Can I brag on my son? Y'all find a seat. Find a seat real quick, real quick, real quick. Whatever y'all are talking about, it's not going to be as important as about what I'm about to tell you right now. I can tell you because I'm a narcissist and I think whatever I'm saying is the most important thing. Um, but have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. So this is cool. Say, Dave, why is this cool? Okay. All right. Y'all are going to have to pick up your A game. Okay. <laughs> um, 22 years ago, I was in a hospital and I was holding this little baby boy and uh, so new that he was still nude at the time. And um, I know, weird image, but that's how babies come out, guys. They don't come out with clothes on. Okay. And uh, so anyway, I'm holding my precious little baby boy, and he's, he's swaddled in you know, cloths, and he wasn't in a manger. He was in my hands. But this is the first words that he heard. I looked at him, and his eyes were just starting to open for the very first time. And I looked at him, and I said, Jesus loves you. That was the first words he ever heard. And I told him, I said, your daddy and your mommy love you. And he was crying his face off. And his little chin was quivering. He was so angry to be out of the womb. He's like, I do not want to be here. But that was 22 years ago today. And look at him. Look at him. Just look at him. Hey, listen, can we all sing happy birthday to my son, David Jr.? If you didn't realize, that's who I was talking about. So let's do it. Come on. I know it's not worshipful, but it's okay. Happy birthday. Come on. Give it good. To you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear David Martin Jr. Happy. Come on. Day to you. Give a big hand. I love you, dude. Y'all are sweet. Thank you. <laughs> so proud of you, dude. And actually, before you leave, I, I just want to say this publicly. You know that this is, I feel this way, and this is true, and this is not for theatrics. In all seriousness, you are my beloved son, and in you, I am so well pleased. I love you, dude. All right. Get out of here. I got to preach now. <laughs> He's my best buddy. He always has been. But as I was thinking earlier today about 22 years, man, as a dad, it kind of makes me reflect on every season of his life. And I'm like the softy, man. I'm so sentimental. And like, like, seriously, I remember when he graduated from kindergarten. And I'm like, oh, there's only like 15 more years or whatever the math worked out to be. And I was just mourning the fact of the day that he would graduate and like grow up out of the house. You know what I mean? And, and I. I was thinking about these types of things today about him. Junior high, junior high was awkward for him as much as it was for his poor old dad. Um, but he got through it. I remember when he picked up, uh, I gave him my drum kit. And I'm like, here, bro, uh, you show a little bit of talent in this area. Go on and give it a shot. And he just took it and he tore it up. And he's a killer drummer in addition to being an amazing worship leader. But then high school. Getting his license, me teaching him how to drive as a father. And, and all of these, there's all these moments in our lives in which there was these transitions. And, and one season went to the next, and we didn't know what the next season held, but we just kind of made it here. 
22 years later, right here on the stage doing ministry together. I, when I held him and told him his daddy and mommy loves him and Jesus loves him, I never thought 22 years fast forward that we would be standing on the stage doing ministry together because I was nowhere near a pastor when I was holding him in my arms. I was a full-time musician running from God, doing my own thing, and trying to figure out what it means to be a dad. But graduation for Dave Jr. was hard, like really hard for me because I knew that the inevitable change was about to take place. Y'all don't know anything about that. You have no idea what you're putting your parents through by making good grades and passing, okay? I really, I told my son, I was like, bro, if you want to take like a couple of years just to flunk, uh, you can graduate when you're like 24. I'm down with that because that means he gets to stay in my house, right? Can you drop me down in volume just a little bit? But here's what's, here's what's really crazy. When he turned his tassel and graduated, I was like, oh. But if you do your job right, they're supposed to leave the house. It's weird when they stick around and, like, you know, they're 34 and eating Doritos in the classic basement of their mother, right? I don't want to raise a kid like that. I, I have to raise him and be cool with kicking him out of the nest and going, this is a new season, new transition. And, but here's the thing. From the time that my son graduated, if someone told me less than five years later, that we would both be in Colorado standing on the stage and me preaching in Colorado as the youth pastor and he's leading worship, I would have gone, you're crazy. But man, here we are. You see, the only way things like this can happen in our lives, as I thought about this, it requires transition. Everybody say transition, right? Transition from where we are to the mysteries of what's in front of us. And I was thinking about my juniors and seniors in this room. Because you're about to step out and start adulting yourself, right? Can I blow your mind? I did the math. I realized that, and I want to share this with you so I can scare you to death and freak you out. Because you're chilling out, you're at home, you're paying, your mom and dad are paying the bills, whatever that may be. But do you realize that for some in this room, within five years or less, you will be parents and married yeah, and you're going to be like big time married, and you're going to be big time holding a baby, figuring out what it means how to change a diaper. And let me tell you, there's no easy way to do it. It's just a bad job. All right. Um, <laughs> five years or less. Do you realize that? How many of y'all freaking out that you're going to be a mom or a dad in less than five years? Yeah. <laughs> One junior higher in here is going, yeah, that really freaks me out. Bro, you'll be 14 at the time. No, that's not the right way. Talking to my juniors and seniors, not my sixth graders in here, but I share that with you because there's this part in us that wants to know what God wants us to do, like we talked about a second ago, and there's nothing wrong with asking that question. It's actually, a, it shows that we want to be obedient to the Lord, right? God, what do you want me to do? And there's this part of us that wants to know, what's the next horizon? How many of y'all are curious to know what the next horizon is for your life? What are the next things? Who are you going to meet? Where are you going to go to school? That's totally fine, but there's also a part of us that falls in love with the present and we fall in love too quickly with how things are right now. When in fact, guys, you can't hang on to this. This is a moment in time that we get to share and appreciate, but it moves forward. I had a student call me earlier today, and yes, we're good. I'll, I'll totally fill out that paperwork. But he called me, and he's like, hey, I want you to fill out this paperwork because I want to go to the other side of the world to go to college, basically, okay? And I'm like... It's a season, but right now, this young man is in this youth group. But this time next year, he's, I don't know, going to be making shrimp on the Barbie or whatever they do over in Australia. 
seasons, transition. I think we can develop an unnatural love for comfort is the problem. And God is a God who is the comforter. But I think sometimes we can make an idol and love comfort in the comfort zone more than the things that God wants to do. The problem is, not really the problem, the reality is, is you cannot pursue the horizons you want to know God has for you and stay in your comfort zone. One or the other will take place. And this is why you see people who stay in a stagnant situation for years and never go where, they, where you saw their potential could lead them. Why? Because for some reason along the way, they chose comfort over calling. And I'm challenging you students to understand that we are in a season. We are sharing a moment, and it's precious and it's good. But we must continue to move forward. Because if we're not moving forward, I don't know how you can follow Jesus. If you don't and aren't willing to move forward. Because in my experience as Christ followers, what I would tell you, Jesus is not as interested in your comfort as he is in conforming you. He, he, he wants to be there in the hard times. But his, his goal, his, his purpose is not to make sure that you're extra comfy. His goal is to conform you. God is conforming us into the image of his son. So God's goal in your life is called the sanctification process. Big word. What it means, sanctification, is God's process of shaping us to look more and more like Jesus as we follow him more and more. Less of you, more of Jesus. And you meet people who are down the road in the sanctification process, and you're like, how do you get there? Time and willingness to step out of the comfort zone and keep following Jesus. It shapes us to look more like Jesus. And so from this, though, here's the good part. You're like, well, this doesn't sound that encouraging. I know you. I'm No, 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 check it out. You see, your calling and your purpose and your horizon and your destiny comes into much greater clarity as you allow the process of sanctification to take place. Because as you begin to be shaped and look more like Jesus, guess what happens? Your eyes begin to develop and look like Jesus's. And you are able to discern what the world is saying is right versus what God is saying, I've called you to. And you can see. So if you want to know what your purpose, your calling, your destiny, why did God put you on this planet in 2018? Allow yourself to move from the comfort zone and pursue the things of God. Let the sanctification process shape you so that... You can figure it out. You can find out what God wants you to do once you understand who you've been conformed to be. Cool? You all with me? I'm preaching tonight, okay? This is really good stuff that God has given me. You see, the thing is, though, Jesus had compassion on, there's a, a moment in, in Scripture, I think it's in Matthew 9 or Mark 9. It's one of the nines. But Jesus looked on this crowd of people, and he had compassion on him. You want uh, Compassion on them. You want to know why? Because he looked at him and he said that he realized that they were sheep without a shepherd. God's purpose for you in your life tonight is not for you to be a wandering sheep trying to figure out your way to safety and provision and promise. Jesus is the good shepherd. But the only way for him to be a shepherd in your life is you've got to be willing to follow him. Are you willing to follow him? It requires obedience which is how we move from comfort to conforming to Jesus. But when this happens, 
it will inspire within us a willingness to move forward, not just in any direction and have to lean on our own understanding. No, no, no. The direction of our destiny that God has already planned for you and for me. You go, oh, that's okay. Now you're a little bit more encouraging. No, 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 check it out. You see, this is what Scripture says about this. Y'all ready? So we are convinced. Look at, is it on the screen? Please put it up on the screen, and I need you to be really right on the slides tonight. So, Nikki, make sure that that happens. There we go. Nope. Nope, that's not it. So we are convinced. <laughs> it's not Jonah. There we are. All right, Nikki, I need you to be right on it tonight. Very, pretty please. Okay. This is why this is awesome. Check this out. Minus the slide distractions. So we are convinced. Now check this out. That how many details of our lives? What does it say? We are convinced that. Hold on. DSM, come on. Help me out here. We are convinced that what? This is the word of the Lord. Speak it like you mean it. Actually like he wrote it. You see, we're convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan and doing what? Bringing bad into our lives? Is that what it says? No, bringing what? Good into our lives. For we are his lovers and have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. And I look at this. And as I was writing this sermon, y'all, I'm just shooting straight with you tonight, man. This could not be a more heartfelt sermon for you tonight. This is from, this is me, this is me being like fully transparent tonight. And as I looked at this verse, I went, wow, God, I'm learning this to actually be true in my life. Like, I'm discovering this is actually true. It's not something I hope is true. It is true. On my next birthday, y'all, I'm going to be 48, pushing 50. Old men, we do not applaud for that. That is, there's nothing cool about 48 except that you're alive, okay? But man, guys, in less, like, two years, I'm going to be, like, half of a century old. And as I thought about that and I was crushed by this idea, I'm actually very grateful. You know what I learned about this verse that I shared with you? It really is true. And, guys, here's the thing, though. When I look at why is this true in my life, because there have been seasons that I have followed God so closely you wouldn't believe it. But there's also been seasons in which I ran the opposite direction of him. Anybody feel me on that? Anybody willing to raise your hand and go, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me, right? There's been seasons I've walked in great purity. But then there's been other seasons that I've walked in great addiction. Impurity. Uh, there's been seasons that I have thought I have know it all and I judged other people. But then, y'all, there's been seasons in which I have been judged. There have been seasons where I have hurt people. I've manipulated people. I haven't been a good person. But then there's other seasons in which I've been hurt and manipulated by people. But here's what I can tell you. The reason why I bring this up, and I could go on and on, but yet somehow, when I'm able to get back to the point where I say this to God, regardless of which season I'm in, Running from him, staying close. Pure impurity. All I know is that when you can get back to this prayer and say this, oh God, have your way. I surrender. Dirty hands, clean hands. Broken heart, happy heart. If we're just able to get to this place and go, God, I surrender, have your way. There's something. It's like a key to a Ferrari. And I've learned when you put this key in the ignition, spiritually speaking, it turns on the engine of this car. 
Every time I pray this, you can count on the Lord as you make this your daily request to him. Something will begin to move and things will begin to change. You will begin to see that through the simple broken prayer, God can do his best work in your life. And I think a prayer like that turns on this Ferrari and takes us further down the road to seeing what his plan and his purpose is for each and every one of us. You see, we make this so much harder. I think that we try to, in some ways by accident, try to equate God out of, put him out of the equation so we could just buy three Bible studies, two journals, one cup of Starbucks, and we could figure out God's plan for our lives without asking him. But then you find these people and they feel disappointed, disconnected, all the rest of these things. I don't know what God is. Talk to Jesus. Say, I surrender. I can't figure this thing out, but I want to. And I want to know what this destiny, I want to know what this purpose is for my life. Is this touching anybody tonight? Is this making any sense? Okay. Where we simply say, Jesus, in spite of my weakness, my fear, my feelings of inadequacy, I'll follow you. Even if my feet are pointed to things I can't see. Even if it's a path that will make me go away from the things that I love. Or the things that even bring me comfort. Because I want your way. Because your way's better. But that prayer will not come out of your mouth until you realize that God's way is, in fact, better. When we do this, I've learned God will take literally every detail of your life, jacked up, weird, what, whatever has been, happened and transpired in your life on the good days and the bad days. But somehow when we say, I surrender it all to you, he's able to take the messed up stuff, the good stuff, the stuff in between, and all of a sudden scripture says that he begins to fit and weave and move us further into God's perfect plan so he doesn't waste any of it. He didn't cause it, but he doesn't waste it. Does that make sense? Some people think that bad things happen in their lives because God's wanting to make you uh, strong so you can have a good story. No, no, no. God has a whole book talking about why we are broken and experience brokenness in our lives. It's never his plan for you to be abused, for you to be hurt, to be marginalized, gossiped about, made fun of, bullied. That's not his plan. But yet, when we go, God, this is messed up, he's like, that's exactly why I sent my son because I agree. And then at that point, when we go, I surrender all my junk, I'm a mess it says all of a sudden he's activated. And then he begins to take all of that stuff, the ashes of your past, and all of a sudden in the good stuff, and he begins to weave and fit these things further into his perfect plan for us. And then we start looking more like Jesus. This is why I can say you can do this. Why? Because scripture says, next verse, we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his Designed purpose. Not on the fly purpose. Designed purpose. And this passage goes on to say, check this out. Y'all ready? For God knew all about you, DSM, before we were even born. And he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. Conformed, going from comfort to being conformed into the likeness of Jesus. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters. Do you realize we truly are the family of God tonight? We have a father that's alive and on the throne and in control. DSM, do you follow this? This is the word of God. Let it pierce your hearts tonight. This is so good. Thank you, God. Who will do what? Become just like 
him. You see that? But it goes on. Having determined, he's already determined our destiny ahead of time. He called us to himself, and he transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. So for those in this room who at some point in your life said yes to Jesus, this is your purpose and destiny. There's a plan for your life. And to think that you've messed it up beyond God's ability to fix it assumes that you have more power over your life than he does. But no, you've been purchased with a price. You've been purchased with Jesus' blood. Congratulations, you're still a son. You're still a daughter. He loves you. Get back to work and just simply say, I surrender, okay? This is so good. But it goes on. It goes on. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he not just glorified with his son, he co-glorifies us. Do what, you understand what that's saying? He's saying you are in Christ. So if Christ has perfect union with God, beautiful union, no, no issues, no, no, do you realize that when we are in Christ as sons and daughters of God, we share the identity of God himself? We are in Christ. And he looks at all of his children and he says, I love them. I wish that they would believe it. Why do I share this? Because while it's true, we have a design, we have a purpose, we love the fact that he's got a calling and a destiny, and I can preach my face off about this thing, shaped uniquely by the hand of God. Here's the problem. Doesn't mean we don't try to mess some stuff up. DSM, you with me on this one? Doesn't mean we don't try to mess some stuff up. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever done something wrong? You know it's wrong, and immediately after you go, what the heck was I thinking? Anybody think that? Anybody feel? I, I'm like, I'm raising my hand, not rhetorically. I wish I had more, more hands to raise. Yes, me and homeboy back there. What was I thinking? You see, what's crazy is, is that even though we may love that God has a plan for our life, and we should, a mission, a purpose, there's also this part of us that looks at what God wants us to do today. Not tomorrow, not a year from now, but we look at what God is saying do today, and we go, mm, I don't know. Yeah, that means i got to get 15 minutes earlier out of bed. Yeah, I don't know about that. Oh, oh hold on, yeah, hold on. Yeah, i got to be nice to the person that was gossiping about me in second period. Uh, dude, no way. God, I, I understand. I'm not as far along in the sanctification process. We start coming up with reasons. We don't want to do what God is asking us to do today. But do you understand that the little decisions to do what God is asking us today is actually what paves the road to our destiny? Without obedience, you will never experience God's purpose for your life. You understand that, right? So at some point, we got to start making the little decisions now so we can show that we're trustworthy with the big ones that he has for us. But it requires obedience. But we go, oh, it doesn't make sense. I'd rather do my thing. Or, oh, it's nice and comfy here, man. You're asking me to step out into something that doesn't make sense. Or, or we'll try to over-spiritualize it. We'll go, this just isn't life-giving to me. I share that with you because I forgot about the story. There's this young man that I know. Not my son, if I promise. But this young man, I believe he was living in a shed, okay, here in Colorado. And it's not his fault, but he's living in a shed, and he's got this job. And I ran into him on a Sunday, and I was like, hey, dude, I haven't seen you for a while. How you doing? He's like, oh, I'm doing pretty good. Just trying to make ends meet. I said, really, where are you working? Well, actually, I just quit my job. Um, I was working at this other place. I was like, oh, right, because you have something else lined up, right, because you're supporting yourself. He's like, no, I don't have another job lined up yet. I'm like, okay, you understand how this works. Like, 
money that earned in a way that you didn't really appreciate is still money, right? <laughs> you have no money coming in. He's like, here's the thing. It just wasn't life-giving to me. I'm like, bro, working at Sonic is not meant to be life-giving. Serve the tater tots and pay your light bill, right? Life-giving to me. What a cop-out, right? All right, keep on going. That's just dad talking, all right? That's dad. That's the dad in me coming out. Life. Do you see, there's this guy named Jonah. Let me just get to the point. There's this dude named Jonah. And he's positioned and purposed by God to live out a very specific destiny that God has for him. So he's included in this passage we just read. Son of God, purpose, destiny, calling. Jonah's a prophet. Everybody say prophet. Okay, now I need you to start preaching back to me now. His, his day job is he actually goes on God's behalf and speaks for God. Like it's kind of a hardcore position, right? That's like pretty legit. You have to have some spiritual maturity on some level to just even hear from God, let alone have the guts to step in front of people and saying, y'all are sinning and y'all are just a bunch of uh, hoodlums and pagans and y'all need to go back to Jesus. Now, I don't know if he said it exactly like that, but that was the essence of his sermons. Well, some people go, yes, thank you. Other people were like, we're going to kill you. If you look at what happened to the prophets in the Old Testament, it didn't work out for most of them in terms of longevity and a lot of them died. They treated the prophets harshly because people don't want to hear the truth. Why? Because they'd rather stay in the comfort of deceit. Jonah's about to be presented with a fork in the road. Everybody say fork in the road. Oh, yeah, forks. God is going to ask Jonah to do something that's scary, that is uncertain, and honestly, Jonah would trade anything to avoid going down this road that God is about to present to him. Let me ask, has God ever asked you to do something that you really didn't want to do? Yeah, most of the time when we don't want to obey God, it's because we just simply don't want to give up our comfort, and that's what hurts, honestly. God says take a, a step across three desks and pray for that person, even though you don't know them, because you feel prophetically they need it, and you don't. You know, what, you know what's at risk in that moment? Comfort. Doesn't feel comfortable, so we don't. Obedience, everybody say obedience. Real obedience many times requires sacrifice. And sacrifice is scary, it's uncertain, it causes discomfort. But students, I want you to hear your pastor when I tell you this. This is what I can tell you with great confidence. The blessing of obedience always outweighs the pain of sacrifice. Always, every time. There's no way that sacrifice will outweigh the benefit and the blessing of obedience. I promise you that. Took me 47 years to get there. But let me give you an example. A little over three years ago, I was living in Texas. Many of you all know I moved here from Texas a couple years ago. What you may not know is how or why we even came here. After living 20 years in San Antonio... My mother, my father, Sarah's family, we all lived in Texas. It was great. We were at a church that loved us and we loved them. Sarah was a worship leader on staff there. I was traveling. I know San Antonio. I was raised in San Antonio. I'm like spent total of a 40 years of my life in that town. I love that town. And let me tell you something. Great Mexican food. Y'all don't even know anything about Las Palapas. But let me tell you something. God said, I'm now calling you to move to Manitou Springs specifically. And I'm like, seriously, guys, I'm not even punching this up to be a funny preacher. I'm like, God, why? Like, I love San Antonio. I serve in San Antonio. There's people that I do ministry with in San Antonio that I really love, and they love me, and everything's cool. Like, San Antonio is home. 
It's a place of safety, predictability, comfort. Anybody feel me on that? There's, man, that's good, right? But then to make it worse, I'd made the mistake of Googling Manitou Springs. And if you don't know anything about my precious little town that I now love at the time, I Googled it and it was like, Bunch of witches running around, drinking blood, coffin races, devil worshiping, pitchfork loving, Manitou Springs. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like there's some dark stuff that's attached to this town in its past. And I'm like, no, no, I, do, I don't care how pretty this town is. I said, Lord, and, and, and seriously, I'm on my knees in my office and I'm praying an honest prayer. I'm like, God, you're you're asking me to pick my family up and move away from our comfort zones, our families, our ministries, where things are safe and uncomfortable, to a place that is probably pretty hostile towards Christians. Lord, I happen to be one of them. Why? Guys, I, I, I'm not overstating this. This is not pastoral hyperbole. I was so afraid. And I'm like, Okay, well then, Lord, then what do you want me to do when I show up? Like, I don't understand. Like, am I supposed to pull out a sword and say, all right, devil, here we go, and start swinging swords? Do I take a Bible and start beating people over the head with it and going, daddy's home, it's I'm Jonah, here we go. No, what do you do? I really didn't know. Here's the thing I couldn't shake. Years before. I was in the ER. You know the story, but it's my story. It's the only one I could tell. I was in the ER facing life and death, and I told God in the ER, I said, if you can find a way to use me. I was 33 at the time. No, 31. If you could find a way to use me, uneducated, washed-up musician guy who's got problems with the church, doesn't even know, own a Bible at this point, I said, I will do whatever you want me to do, and I will go wherever you want me to go. And I meant it. And I never wanted to back out on what I told the Lord that day in 2002. Well, he cashed that chip <laughs> in a big way and said, calling you to Manitou Springs. So do we have the picture of the moving truck? I just want you to kind of get the picture. That's the moving truck that was like five times as long as what the picture shows, by the way. We have Dave Jr.'s car on the back. That's our little car. It's loaded up with junk, too. And I took this picture, and it's so ironic because... That is the place where I started going back to church in my 30s on this property and fast forward up to 2016 or 15 or whatever it was. And we parked it there overnight just because we didn't have anywhere else to park it. And we took a picture, or I took it or whatever, just to be able to document that we're about to set out on a journey and we have no idea where we're going and why. We don't understand where we're going. But guess what we did? After I took that picture, I prayed over our cars. I got in that massive yellow moving truck I put it in drive, and we began to make our way to Manitou Springs and had no idea what was next. But here's what I knew. As scared as I was and uncertain about what was next, I was obeying God. And I left my comfort zone because I want the better things of God in my life. I want to see him do cool stuff. And if that's what it means, then let's go for it. I'm not saying look how awesome I am. I'm simply saying you have a youth pastor that really tries to live this stuff out. And I did it because I truly believe that God has a plan. And I can't make a case anymore, students, that God's not faithful. And here's what I also know. If I didn't know it before, I am extra certain of it now. I know that God loves people who live in darkness. So much so 
that he will call his children, a couple of crazy ones in Texas, who are willing to follow what God is asking them to do, to come all the way across the country to Colorado to live amongst them in order to bring the light of Jesus' salvation and grace to them. And my thinking is, is if Jesus went to Samaria and the other supposed God followers would never go to that place, but Jesus went there, figure I can go to Manitou Springs. This is kind of what God is asking of Jonah, though. He's like, get out of your comfort zone. Go to a place that freaks you out and people you cannot relate to. Go. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. God says to Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So in this moment, God has given Jonah a fresh message and a fresh mission. Everybody say message. Mission. Yeah. You see, it may sound familiar to you for those of you who were at Coram Dale last year because I talked about this very thing, did I not? What is your message? What is your mission? And I, I asked the question, I said, what is your message? What is your mission that God has given you? And as Christ followers, here's the beauty of God. He's so unique and so personal. It can, it can be explained and transmitted in a million different ways, but the message should be universal and look the exact same way. You go, well, what is that? Our message and our mission to, would be to love God with all that we are through including our obedience, to share the love of the gospel of Jesus, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. How you do that, that's between you and the Lord. But that's what your life should look like. And here's what I want to let you know. If you truly commit your life to living out this message and this mission, I'm going to let you know that God may lead you to a place that calls you to leave your comfort zone. God tells Jonah to leave Nineveh and tell these people that he still loves them, even though they're rotten, and God still wants to forgive them. But guess what our boy does in verse 3? Not even three verses into his story. Jonah got up. Good. And he went to the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Why? Because in so many words, why? I mean, think about this. Why would God want Jonah to leave the comfort of his home? Like, seriously, God understands what he's asking here. To go to a group of people he honestly knows that don't deserve God's loving forgiveness. These people are wicked. God said they're wicked. You know why God wants Jonah to do this? Because this is what Jesus does. Jesus left the comfort of his home in heaven, did he not? He came to a very hostile place among people who didn't deserve to hear that God loves them. And tell them that there is a way to experience the forgiveness and the grace of God. The forgiveness of sins. Be reconciled. To exchange our status as sinners to sons and daughters. This is what Jesus did. This is how God rolls. Go. Comfort. Whatever. Bigger purpose. Jesus had a message and a mission. And it says that he was obedient even unto death on the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For what purpose? So that we could become sons and daughters of God. You see, your message and your mission are vital, and they're tied directly to your calling and your destiny. Do you understand that? But the key factor, the activator, is obedience. Whether it forces you out of your comfort zone or not, Jesus understood and lived out what I just shared with you, that the blessing of obedience always outweighs the pain of temporary sacrifice. So this is what Jesus has done. And how many of y'all are thankful tonight? And don't give me some stupid golf clap. If you're truly thankful that Jesus did this for us, can we just praise him for a second? 
Isn't this amazing? He deserves so much. Jonah's faced with this choice like you and me, man. And the choice is one of two things. Do I trust God or do I trust myself? When you wake up in the morning, this is your choice. This is what you, all of us will be presented with. We see that Jonah in the situation picking number two. And why do we call it number two? Because it stinks. That's exactly right. Little potty humor. Okay, let's see how this worked out for our boy Jonah. He went down to the port of Joppa. He got on a ship leaving for Tarsish. He bought a ticket. He got on board. He's hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing away from what God told him to do. Oh, he's, he's got it all planned out. You can tell how excited he is, right? Yes, I figured it out. Why there? Because Nineveh's, Nineveh is east. Tarsish is the opposite direction of west. And spiritually speaking, I spent most of my life, students, going the opposite direction of what God, God called me to do. From a very young age, I knew that I was supposed to be a preacher. Like before I could form sentences, I, would be, I was preaching. And I shared that some of, some of that with you in the past. But long story short, as my dad being a preacher and me watching him over, the, over that time, he was wounded by people in the church. They betrayed him, hurt him, all the rest of the stuff. He got burned out. He quit church. He's never gone back to ministry. He was that wounded. Well, my family and I were wounded in the process, and we're like, no way. So when my dad left ministry at 17, so did I. And I'm like, I'm okay with God, but I am not down with church anymore. So I didn't go back for, I just took a little time off, like 13 years. And I was like, I don't want to go back. I ran the opposite direction. I knew deep down inside I was supposed to preach, be a pastor. Over time, I became more rooted in my own dreams and desires and tried to say it was God saying he wants me to do these things. And this is what we see in the story of Jonah, going the opposite direction. And we find him on a boat running from God's message and mission. And it says in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. And so the sailors started freaking out. And they wake up and they go to Jonah and they go, dude, wake up. In so many words, is this storm somehow related to you? We're, we, we, we have a gut feeling. We cast lots. We, we, we kind of, do you have anything to do with this? And this is what Jonah answered. He says, I'm a Hebrew. Yep. <laughs> Whatever they're asking, the answer is yes. Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors all of a sudden got freaked out and were terrified when they heard this. For he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. And they were like, oh, why? Would you do that? They groaned. Like, oh, dude, why? And I think it's funny that these gnarly, non-God-worshipping sailors are like, you're an idiot, Jonah. Who does that? And they knew this was a bad idea, but here's what happens. In verse 11, since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? He's like, uh, just throw me into the sea. Throw me into the water. Throw me out of the boat, and it's going to become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Guys, this is my bad. It really is. Then the sailors picked Jonah up, and they kindly threw him into the sea. And the storm stopped, boom, all at once. Clear skies, stars out. The sailors are like, whoa, okay, that's cool. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. You've read this book as a child, and it's always Jonah like, ah. And the fish is all real happy, squirting their little stuff out of the head. No, 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 dude. You're in deep water, and this massive beast just goes, takes you in. And Jonah was inside that fish for three days and three nights, children. I've stayed in some pretty dirty motels in my life. 
but nothing comes close to hanging out for three days in the intestines of a fish. There's a universal law that we learn right here. You cannot run far enough to get away from God. He gonna chase you down. Try. I told a student that. You're like, why do you? Because they're like, I really feel, I'm like, listen, go out and run as far away as you can from the Lord if that's what you feel like you're supposed to do. But just know he gonna catch up with you. You're like, no, no for real. He's gonna get you. I'm like, okay, I don't want to smoke pot anymore now. Forget it, you know. Here's why I can say that, because Psalm 139 says, Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. Follow this, students. Don't tell me God doesn't care about you. You know when I sit up. You know when I stand up and sit down. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I'm going to say, Lord, but even before I say it. That is scary, by the way. <laughs> I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there too. You can't outrun God. And on January 31st, 2002, I found myself in the ER. Heart is doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I'm freaking out. They're coming in. They're like, we can't stabilize you. I'm really facing death on this day. My son, David, is five at the time. And I realized in that moment, as I looked at the ceiling in the, in the ER by myself, going, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to see the sunset today. I couldn't run anymore. Doctors could not stabilize me. And this is when I hit my breaking point like Jonah's about to do. And this was my prayer. God, please heal me. I want to know what it means to know you and not just about you. And I'm ready to do your will. And in that moment, DSM. I surrendered. I stopped running. And in an instant, my heart went right back to normal. And I said, God, write a new chapter. In so many words, write a new chapter in my life. And he began to write a second chapter. And this is the crazy part. I'm so Jonah, y'all. I'm the reluctant prophet. I always give God a hard time about what he wants me to do next. Because I love the comfort zone. Two years later after that prayer, I walked into something that I spent 16 years running from. My call to be a pastor and a preacher. June 1st, 2004, I walked in through the first door of my very first youth group. And I was looking into 11 faces that looked just like you guys. And I'm like, God, what the heck do you want me to do now? But I wanted to show up. And I wanted to honor what I told the Lord. And so the second chapter... We're going to see for Jonah, literally and figuratively, is about to be written in his story. Jonah then prayed to the Lord in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. He prayed to the Lord from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to my Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down into the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me, and I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. But then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, and yet I will look once more to your holy temple. He's going, once more, is there a way to be restored to where I can live out my mission and share my message he said, I sank beneath the waters and the waves. They closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O oh Lord, my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. 
I can get that. And as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you, to your holy temple. Even from the belly of a fish at the bottom of the ocean, God can hear a prayer of surrender. To those who worship false gods, turn their backs on all of God's mercy. So keep on worshiping the false god of comfort, y'all. And you are turning your back on God's best for your life. That's what he's saying. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out on the beach. That's how he got on the beach. But not before he surrendered. You see, Jonah and I both got to a point in our lives that God is asking you to get to. And it's this. Are you willing to just simply do what God is asking you to do, even though you don't understand it today? But if he's put it on your heart to do it, what other choice is there? There's one. Comfort. But comfort will trump your calling because it's a different God than the one you're called to follow. Are you willing to trust God to take a step of faith in a direction that challenges that? What is the thing that God has been telling you this school year to do? And it's been nagging you. And up till now, you've been unwilling to do it. What I've learned is this. And I highlighted it in yellow, so I made sure I said it. When God calls you to do something or orchestrates your steps where you may have to jump and just trust that the net will appear, here's what I've learned. You're not expected to provide your own net. You, you, you don't have to worry about going to Home Depot and buying your net before you take a jump out in faith. God is your safety. He's your net. Just step out. I want you to hear this so hardcore right now. That is the one thing, in my experience, that most Christians will never do. Step out when you don't have all the answers. Step out when it doesn't make any sense. Step out when people say you're crazy. Step out. Eleven disciples stayed in the boat one stepped out and got to walk on water with Jesus. I've spent most of my life in the boat because it's safe, it's predictable, and it's comfortable. But for the rest of my life, students, I want to be a water walker. What if, what, if, what if I actually took Jesus up on and God on everything that he promised and said he would do if I put my faith in him and kept taking steps of faith? What could happen in someone's life if they actually lived that way and not just sang about it and talked about it? but they actually did it. I want to be someone who does it. I spent enough time in the boat. So Jonah, he goes to Nineveh, and he shares his message, and he fulfills his mission. And guess what? Revival breaks out. And all these people living in darkness came to a place of salvation and reconciliation and repentance. After moving to Manitou, check this out. We pull up. We found a house to live in four days before we came up here. We didn't even know if we were going to have a place to live. No joke. And, and we pull up into the house. 
We're living out of boxes. The first Sunday we feel a little bit spiritual, which is about two Sundays in. We just rest and kind of chilling. We decided to check out New Life. We didn't, I didn't know anybody here really. I didn't know anything about New Life Church um, outside of just kind of maybe its history a little bit. But Sarah and I made the decision, we'll just start there, but we'll find a church where we can serve and maybe I can help because I've been doing youth ministry for a long time and maybe support and help out another youth pastor be successful and, and just do awesome ministry. And so we, we go in, and we go in, and we check in our daughter, Ashley, who was six at the time. And this is right around the beginning of the school year. We check her in, and the dude that was running the table was the guy. Who, he was just doing it for the very first time on the Sunday. Wasn't that well-trained. And that's okay. But it, it was divine. And he said, uh, oh, yeah, go up these stairs, take a left, take a right, take a left, take a right. You know how big this place is, right? And for a visitor, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is like being in the mall. I don't even know where I'm going. And so he says, take a left. So I'm taking my little baby girl. Sarah was with me. We walk up these stairs. And there's this man walking down the stairs. And he's like, hey, are, are y'all lost? And I was like, yeah, we are. I'm not one of those kind of guys. Like, no, I'll just GPS it. No, I'm, we're, we're lost. We have no idea where we're going. He's like, well. I'll take you to your daughter's classroom. We're like, cool. So he takes us all across the complex. We finally make it to our daughter's class. And um, I noticed he had a headset, a headset microphone on. I said, hey, it looks like I'm making you late for work because church had already started. It was the 11 o'clock service, like 10 after 11 or something like that. I said, I'm making you late for work. I thought he was the kid's pastor. And he said, uh, actually, no, I'm not the kid's pastor. He said, I'm Pastor Brady Boyd. And I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I'm an idiot, right, you know? And I, I didn't know who he was. That ought to tell you how unattached we were to this church. We're just checking it out. That turned into me sending him a message because that meant a lot that a pastor of a 10,000-person church would take some visitors to their daughter's classroom. I think that says a lot about our pastor. He's not too good to do stuff like that. He, he really lives out what he says. And I sent him a message on Twitter it's this format that old people use to communicate called social media. And uh, I Snapchatted him. No, no, I Twittered. So anyway, I sent him a message saying, hey, thank you so much. That was really awesome. That message turned into a lunch. And we got to share with this pastor how we wound up here in Manitou and why we're here. That turned into the Lord taking that story and igniting his heart the next time we saw him at New Life Next, as we were joining this church, he said, I cannot stop thinking about this. We have to start a New Life Manitou church ASAP. He then assembled myself, Sarah, Joe Kirkendall, the college pastor here at the time, and a couple of other volunteers, and we sat at Red Dog Coffee in Manitou Springs and went, who, who starts a church in this town? But God must be up to something. Here's the reality of it. No church has lasted more than two years beyond the four that have been here been there for over 100 years. Any church that has tried to be planted there has died within two years. The odds were against us. We're in a town that is like, we like the devil. Thank you very much. So we thought. But then that turned into our very first Sunday. And I wasn't on staff here yet. I was just a volunteer. I'm just helping out, trying to figure out what God is doing here. Can I tell you today, close to three years later, there is a church in Manitou Springs. It's in a former Masonic Lodge that has been revitalized, that was abandoned, and it's a beautiful place. And right now as we speak, my wife is on the stage in that room in the New Life Manitou Church, and she is leading worship for those who are praying and interceding for that city right now. That's why she's not here. It gets better. Two weeks ago, I had the honor of baptizing my daughter, Ashley at New Life Manitou. I want to show you this video really quickly. And baptize your daughter. Thank you.
baptized. <laughs> <laughs> so Ashley, you put your faith in Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Yeah. Well, upon your public profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in death, raised to walk in the newness of life. <laughs> I share that because you're family, but it blows me away as I was writing the sermon that if we had stayed in our comfort zone in Texas, this moment would have never taken place. Did you see how many people were there? My God is reaching Manitou, and that town's been forsaken for so long, and Christians go, I don't want to go there because I get weird vibes. Man, that place is one of the most spiritual places on planet Earth, and they're hungry for Jesus. And people are getting saved, and people are getting delivered, and people are getting healed. And I could spend the rest of my night talking about what God has done there. And I just go, I would have missed out on that. My family would have missed out on that if we went, no, we can't go to Colorado. We have to stay here. If that wasn't enough, two years ago, tomorrow, November the 15th, marks my two-year anniversary for being pastor of Desperation. And while leading the conference in DMA has been a true joy and a gift, I never thought I'd get to enjoy. I want to let you know that being your youth pastor has been a treasure. And being able to share the word of God, challenge you, call you out on stuff, making it awkward in here for you, telling you to take your stupid masks off and be honest and real, because that's what the Lord is really looking for. So that you can learn what it means to live with passion for God's word. Understand that you can change the world through the power of intercession. To disciple you so that you can enjoy the freedom that comes from living a consecrated life. So that you can live out your message and your mission that God has for you. That has been a gift. And I'm eternally grateful to Pastor Brady Boyd and the senior pastor. My friend and boss and pastor Brad Baker. You're a gift to me, and this church has been a gift to me and my family, and every hour, every hour, I can't, seriously, I should have been paid overtime, Brad, in all fairness, because I've sat on these steps, am I lying, so long with you guys, and I love looking into your faces, having you share the real stuff that's been taking place in your lives, seeing tears fall on these steps, sharing in the successes, challenging you to live in ways that God has called you to. You have been kingdom treasures to me that God has shared. And no one can take that away. The reason, though, and I want you to hear this, the reason why I've been your youth pastor is because of my commitment on January the 31st, 2002, to fulfill the message and the mission that God has been so graciously, um, just wonderfully generous with me to give. And I want to spend the rest of my life living out Isaiah 61. Ain't got time to get into it tonight. Look it up when you go home. But this kind of summarizes my message and mission for my life, where God is leading me. It's not on the, it's not on the screens, and I need everybody to pay attention. Acts 20, 24 says, but my life is worth nothing. This is the way I see it. My life is worth nothing to me unless I finish the work that God has assigned to me. By the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is this work? The work for David Martin, your youth pastor, 
is the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I don't want to tell people about the rules of God. I have no interest in telling them how to act like good Christians. I'm interested in spending the rest of my life telling people how they can be Christians and sons and daughters of God. I'm not my own. And even at 47, God is still leading me from comfort to greater conformity to Jesus. And while it hurts sometimes, I never want to back away from his call. I don't want to start playing it safe at this point. And the truth is, you would want nothing else from your youth pastor, right? I mean, do you want someone in this pulpit who just talks about taking steps of faith and never does? No. You want a youth pastor that actually takes steps of faith. Someone willing, like I shared at Desperation, that stands in front of tanks. Someone that is willing to go for broke and push all the chips in and go, I don't know what's next, but you're faithful. And I can't make a case anymore that God's not faithful. And while I may not be perfect students, I know that. I want to be someone that you can say lives out their faith with honesty, humility, and transparency. I want you to see me as someone who doesn't allow the measure of their faith to be based upon what spreadsheets say you can and can't do. Take your spreadsheets. Give me the mystery of God any day. I want to be a man that follows the God of the Bible. I'm talking about the God of the Bible that like parted the Red Seas. That's the one I want to follow. I want to follow the God that raises people from the dead. I want my feet to pursue a path that lets me see that yet again Jesus is seeking out still in 2018, just as he did it 2,000 years ago, notorious sinners and eating with them and bringing the light of God's love and salvation to them so that they can know they too can become sons and daughters of God. I don't want to get to the end of my life and leave stuff on the table. Do you? Because if I leave stuff on the table, that means that I chose comfort over calling. And if there really is a, just this destiny, this divine destiny crafted by the hand of God, especially for me, chase it. I want to know what that is. Do you want to know what that is? I want to have big faith in a big God who is able to do immeasurably bigger things than we could ever think or imagine. That's the God I choose to follow and want to follow. And I want to follow that God. And so, I've learned though, when you continue to live this way, all of a sudden God says, okay, We have someone who's willing to be obedient, and we have to be ready for him to lead us to new places, new people, to live out new missions, just like he led me to Manitou Springs three years ago. And I'm at that place again in my life, if I'm being honest. The reality is, is over the last couple of months, God has been graciously showing me that my time at DSM is wrapping up. And he's calling me yet again to surrender, to say, okay, God, what's next? It's not my ministry. It's always been his. And Sarah and I, my wife, have been praying and asking that question. You know what? Want to know why? Because we have no idea what's next. But here's what I can tell you. To stay one second longer in this ministry than what I'm allowed would be an act of disobedience. But more than that, you want to know what I know? Go on and throw that verse up on the screen. You see, I'm able to do this with great faith because... I'm convinced 
that every detail of my life is continually woven together to fit in God's perfect plan of bringing good into my life. And I am his lover who has been called to fulfill his design purpose. And I'm good with whatever he decides from this point. And with that said, at the end of this year, I will be transitioning out of this role as a student, student pastor. But while I understand it may seem sudden, and I, I get that, let me just shoot really straight. I really did feel from the very beginning, and I was very vocal about this to anyone who would want to listen to me, that I really do feel in part my job was to be able to set this ministry up for the next person to take it over. I, I really felt that. Guys, most guys at 48, 47 years old aren't youth pastors. And not that that's in, there's anything wrong with that. This is a joy for me. But you got to know at some point, got to move on. Maybe God has some other things for me because he wants to raise up a new generation, a new voice. And here's what's crazy. Over a year ago, I began to fast and pray as a practice. And during that time, the Lord laid Tim Shepherd on my heart. So I went to Brad. Brad Baker, my boss, my pastor, my friend. I said, dude, I can't unsee it. I think he's the guy. This is over a year ago. I was like, I understand what I'm saying by saying this. Like, here's my replacement. Get rid of me, the old guy, the old bald guy. I said, but it's not. It's about what God wants. And I really think that he's the guy. And so we just kind of sat on that. I said, but God, I think God is choosing him to fill my spot. And guys, you've heard Tim preach over this last semester, have you not? Are you tracking with me? Have you seen him lead? Have you seen his heart? He's a man of great integrity. And I would never advocate, advocate for anybody other than someone who's got the heart of Timothy Shepherd. Wisdom beyond his years. He has literally grown up in this youth group. Junior high, senior high, right? And so I, along with Pastor Brady... Pastor Brad, the senior team, we believe that the time is now for Tim to step into this role and to take this ministry way farther than I could ever take it. Because I honestly feel that I have peace. And scripture talks about allowing the peace of God to rule your heart. And so as the band comes up, I'm going to ask Tim to come up. And I couldn't be more honored through more fasting and more prayer over the last six months to be able to go, this is right. You are my sheep. I'm the under-shepherd. And I wouldn't give it to anybody else, and I'm not going to do a pun with his last name, but here's what I will tell you. Y'all matter to me a whole lot. And I'm not going to just advocate for any bozo to come in here and crush you guys and run you away from God. He loves God, and he loves you. And so, man, this is such a rare moment that you're experiencing because in most churches, it's not like this. But how cool is it to see the kingdom of God at work right before your eyes and to see how it's done right? This ministry has never been about me, Tim, and it's not going to be about you. What God produces in this place is going to be his work. You get to witness it. But God's going to honor your obedience to take a step of faith. And that net is going to appear. And it won't be because you're awesome. It's going to be because he is. And the moment it becomes about you is the moment you've forgotten what it's about, right? And you know that. And because we know that, we trust him. And so, guys, I want to introduce to you, starting in 2019, January 1st, your new youth pastor. Can we put our hands together?
Get on your feet. Come on. Come on. Get on your feet. Let's honor him. Come on. Come on. No, no, don't you. Where are you going, man? Come here. Don't back away. Don't back, get used to the stage. Listen to that, bro. That's the favor of God because the season is now for you. That's the favor of God. I want to pray a blessing over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that from generation to generation, God, those who didn't make it about themselves gladly gave the torch to the next generation. And I want to invite his wife up here too. Please come on up real quick. Sorry. And so I just want to be able to declare and have the honor to say this. For a time such as this, shepherd family, the Lord has appointed you. And we know that in our weakness, that is where Christ can be most glorified. And so I declare peace over your lives. Divine rest that never goes away. A joy that cannot be stolen. Oh, Father, may the vision of the heart of God be poured out into Tim and his wife right now. May this not look like a cookies and punch balloon youth ministry, but this ministry and the legacy that it's already established in creating disciples that we have not yet seen the best days yet. They are ahead of us because God is doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? He's going to make streams in the desert. He's going to make a pathway, pathway. And he's invited you to walk it. So Father, I pray that you would surround their home, their marriage. Father, may priorities of your heart be the priorities of their hearts. May they know their identity is not in what they do, but in who they are in you. Lord Jesus, your word says, it invites us to abide. For apart from him, we can do nothing, but in him, we can produce much fruit. And so prophetically, I just want to speak over you right now, and I want to let you know this, that the fruit that the Lord is going to produce in your life in ministry, Timothy, here's the reality of it. It only grows if it stays attached to the vine that the fruit is a blessing, okay? The moment we take the fruit off the vine, it becomes a burden. Let it abide. This is a blessing. Y'all are about to enter into the, some of the most craziest, awesome, faith-stretching time of your life. I, I envy what you're about to enter into because I've walked through this and I know what you're about to encounter and it's gonna be good. Because God gives good gifts, and this is a gift, and they are a gift. Y'all are so stinking blessed, you don't even know it. So just stretch out your hands, DSM, as we wrap up. So, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your provision. We thank you, Lord, for this unique moment in which ministry and the transition of ministry is done right. set the stage for Tim to do what you called him and his wife to do. 
love you and we praise your name. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you have a calling and a destiny on each one of us. Lord, tonight, would you inspire us to greater obedience so that we can pursue the things that you have for us. We love you and we glorify the name of Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.